The Mixing Music Podcast is proud to say that we have a lot of free resources outside of the actual podcast. Visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash links to find access to our free PDFs and free resources. One, two, three. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host, DK, and with me, as always, is Lovable Lou. Oh, CLB. <laughs> Certified Lou Boy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. All right. That was to, a good Drake reference there. Um, I mean, I'll give the people one, but I don't know any others. So... I think that this is going to... I'm going to change the topic on you, actually. We were talking okay. about what this episode is going to be about. And uh, as we kind of like brainstorm and talk about right before we start talking, right? Because most of this is stuff is on the fly. It's not scripted. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of this stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but on this one, we were going to talk about something else. We're going to save that for the next episode. Um, someone on our Discord uh, pointed out, hey... Lou has oh, said some yeah. history as a rock producer. Um, I know DK has had some history recording some live instruments and some bands. Let's talk about that. Now, yep. the one thing I don't have experience in, and I think you may have a little bit more or a lot more, significantly mm -hmm. more, is metal music, yeah. and which I know is a very tight mixing community. Like there, there, yeah. There's a whole community behind that and a culture behind that. Um, that I'm not involved in at all. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, but I can I can appreciate that stuff. So, Lou, you want to talk about what it was like recording, producing, mixing rock music? Yeah, sure. I mean, honestly, it was very fun. It's a a lot of uh, a lot of different personalities, just like you would find in any other genre. If funny enough, like uh, your clients could literally be a band of just four people, five people that kind of know each other um, and this may be their first album or you've got four or five people who are part of a bigger, you know, name. But the funny thing is, it's not just them in the studio. They bring out session players all the time. Um, you're talking about like a, a side of the recording where uh, they're either recording themselves all the demos from home on a simple little setup. So like they're they're sending you songs to mix that are either programmed drums or something or they're hiring you. To go to the studio for a couple days, they got to track uh, 10 songs worth of live drums. They got to record live guitars, reamp the guitars because the tone wasn't right. You know, there's a bunch of different things that go into it, but it's very different from like your usual hip hop or pop sessions. Yeah. Um, in hip hop, pop sessions, a lot of the songwriting is done during the session. But with yep. bands, they're usually already written. They've yep. maybe even performed them on stage already. They've at least practiced it. Yep. Um, as far as my uh, experience has gone. And it's a lot of fun. Like in that yeah. sense, it's truly a different experience when it's less creative and more technical. That's where, um, I think the great divide between some engineers and producer styles and thoughts on like tools in the industry really differ. Uh, cause when you actually eliminate the need to create on the spot, a lot of times you're just looking for the best possible capture. And that's where the recording styles differ. That's why you see so many different techniques for recording an acoustic guitar, or drums, uh, the 10 different ways to mic for the best snare sound and this and that. Because 
being that everything's already rehearsed, everybody knows what they're coming in for. Everything's organized. You set a day for like laying down the 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 rough takes so that everybody can overdub over that and have some reference with each other so it still feels live. There's so much planning that goes into it that a lot of times you don't really find. Like in a, in a typical hip-hop session that I've been in, whether it be like trap or whatever, um, they're coming up with the lyrics on the spot. So they're just looking for somebody who can hit record, do a million takes, because if that's what it takes to write a song, mm-hmm. that's what it takes. And sometimes the end result is, well, hey, that that was the song. Like, we wrote it on spot. Like, we're not going to overdub the vocals for a better take, but whatever and, and came think, out is yeah. whatever came out. And I think that both have benefits. For example, when exactly. you're there in the writing creative process, I feel like it's easier to become friends with the people. Yeah, and, totally. and it's like you're definitely part of the creative process. Um but yeah, when you're recording a band, it is much smoother, and, and you get to really truly practice being an engineer again. Oh yeah, because when you're when you're helping writing a songs, a lot of the times you're not thinking too too much about, especially if it's just a vocal. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're not thinking too too much about mic position and overthinking that. And mm-hmm. so um, it is a different experience as far as the recording end and client interaction. Now, as far as mixing. Now, this is a different skill. Like a lot of people, uh, especially in the hip-hop realm, are used to mixing mm-hmm. um, 808s and synthetic drums. But what happens when all of a sudden every snare hit is slightly quieter or louder than the one past? You know? The tone is slightly pitched up or down. There's room noise. Like now you're There's dealing with different from other stuff. Instruments. Yeah. Or you have the entire band performing with each other in one shot. There you go. So um, let's talk about this real quick. What is your favorite drum miking kind of setups that you've done um, for recording drums? You know, I've I've never been an in between guy, but I've totally been a minimalist and a maximus, if that's even a thing. Um, <laughs> a if you're a drummer who can impress me with just kick, snare, and a floor tom, hi hat, ride, and maybe a few extras, but like if you can get me with uh, to just fall in love with you with just kick, snare, and floor tom. Like, I would love recording you any day, all day long for free. I don't care. But um, then you got the regular kits. Like, there's uh, there's drum kits where they have a few more toms, so you got to play a little more with the miking. You got to make sure that you get, uh, you know, each one of the toms to fit nicely in, even in the stereo image of the overheads. doesn't really wow me as far as the process. I, I'm calculating a little more. But then you got guys that show up with, like, 13 toms for some reason you're like actually this looks like a lot of fun to record (laughs) like now this is a puzzle like you got the amazing drummer who's super minimalist doesn't need everything so we don't have to mic it up if he's only gonna hit it once um but then you got the middle guy which usually still great but not super impressive of a setup or exciting as a drummer sometimes but then you got these guys who have like a million things. They may only hit it once, but the process of miking it up was just fun. So, so what are your favorite like overhead techniques? Uh, I like XY. The reason being is that you get a lot tighter with the snare imaging in the center. But um, space pair, if I'm actually trying, XY to... is the yeah. So basically XY, you put the two microphones, whether it be pencil condensers or large diaphragm condensers. Typically, um, sometimes you'll see ribbons. But ribbons are a whole other thing. That's technically another technique. But um, forty-five degree angles across each other. So exactly. You're so you get a whole X, yeah. and you put it over the snare drum, or yeah. you put it over the kick drum. How do you? Uh, so how do you like I actually angle put it right in between the kick and snare. I want to actually get. So it. there's still a little bit of an angle. There's still yeah exactly because then I'm gonna actually position the angle of it to be where the floor tom is on one side almost. 
if not entirely, because you still want to capture, you don't want to completely miss the rest of the drum kit. But you have to admit, there is already a hi-hat mic usually in most cases with me. Uh, so I'm not necessarily trying to capture the hi-hat on the other side. I'm trying to capture more of the floor tom and the ride. So I'm not too worried about where it's actually pointing back for, uh, for the rest of the drums. Yeah. But because of that, you get a better center image, uh, space pair. If you're trying to actually minimize the amount of snare in your overheads too, like depending what, uh, what kind of style you want to go for. If you're going for like a tight rock punk kind of sound, you could just go for a space pair because then there's less issue with trying to get the snare to be loud and tight and to cut through the mix because it's not bleeding through the overheads. So you're not trying to actually take away from the frequency content to compensate. But if you do X, Y, you can actually get a very in-your-face, more metal sound because that snare is really going to shine through. When you mm -hmm. compress the overheads, it's going to explode out of the mix. Uh, if you have a room mic uh, involved with the overheads and everything, you can really get it to explode, but that's kind of the thing. Like a lot of metal drums, a lot of rock drummers, they really like those big, boomy, slapping sounds. Yeah, and as well as like uh, you were talking about the room sound, I know that within heavier genres of the rock world, mm -hmm. um, oftentimes the room that you record the drums in is very important. Yeah. And like the reverb and like the space that the drums are in make the drums sound huge. Yep. And um, depending on every style of genre that you do, Depends on what kind of room you want, whether you want a darker room, a brighter room, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's so interesting because like, uh, we, with trap music, everything's just kind of so dry and really minimalist. Yeah. But even just where you record them is a big deal when it comes to live recording, especially something as, with so much nuance as, as a drum kit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could say the same thing for vocals. Where if you were to record in a booth, that's uh, it sounds like you're, brick or yeah, something. Yeah. Yo, it sounds or, like you're sitting in a two by two box. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, that's why the the whole idea behind big live rooms uh, is so nice because there's so little early reflections playing a factor in what you're capturing that you get a much much cleaner sounding vocal that you feel just a little more alive with. Mm -hmm. um, drums, put them in a small room just like vocals, they they get boxy, they sound pretty bad, but get a nice large room, uh really do your best at capturing Really large sound. ceilings, high ceilings? Yep. High ceilings do wonders for yep. drums. And there's a lot of people who will choose the room based on its material whether it's wood, brick, concrete. There you go. Uh, if there's curtains available or not, um you'll see a lot of times like for people who want tighter sounding drums they'll actually go into a large room but they'll still surround the drum set with baffles behind it so that it actually kind of pushes a little more energy towards it and it sounds a little drier so as far as drums i think that the advice that we can give is um to experiment a lot whether you have your own space or not um or if you're going to the same place especially if you're going to something different somewhere different every time um it's a good idea to experiment a lot. There is no right way. And honestly, um, when you try these different things out, you're going to find that some drum tones were more your favorite. Some, mm -hmm. like I had the same room every, for four or five years in Utah. Mm -hmm. And in the same room, it took me like a while, but I found my favorite spot to record drums in one, in one corner facing a specific direction, or one part of the room. And then I, ha I moved the cloud and then I, and all of a sudden I liked it there a lot. You know, so there was, um, I moved the drums around a lot and that's a good experiment to try as well. Yeah. But that's something that's lost in most modern production or at least what's popular on the radio right now. Yeah. Um, you don't really have to figure out where the snare is in the room. 
You yeah. don't really have to worry okay. about face flipping. Maybe, your maybe there's something top and bottom. Maybe there's something about uh, the psychology of of choice where you have too many options. It kind of just leads to more stress and. Uh, and people tend to be more less, happy yeah. when when there's less decisions to make. And Not like only that, but choices. they can focus on more of like, all right, what's the quality of the few choices? Yeah, like where so. I don't have to worry about where, where I don't have to worry about which room the drums are in. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's I'm like good. I like the snare for uh, whenever I record drums. I like the snare to with this mic. It sounds really punchy, but then changing the snare tone is just as simply as. Uh, I want it to be less punchy. Move it back a little bit. So let's <laughs> talk a little bit about amps as well. Um, I know this is going to be surprising to most people, but when recording guitars, electric guitars, um, it sounds better, well, traditionally, the way that electric guitar is recorded is miking the amp. A lot of people um, aren't quite sure how to record guitar, so they just pl- they've been plugging in their guitar directly into their interface, into their computer, um, that's not how you traditionally record guitar. Um, traditionally, it's, it's micing, putting a microphone in front of your amplifier. Do you want to talk about some techniques about distance and how the different sounds are when you put the mic close, t- closer sure. to the, the center of the woofer versus the edge of the woofer versus distance and and uh, yeah, totally. typical typical microphones used for guitar- recording guitar amps? Sure. I mean, typical is always going to be like between a dynamic and a ribbon. You see a lot of condensers thrown around, and that's fine, but it's just a... Uh, not as typical as seeing a dynamic or a ribbon mic. Specifically the 57. Yeah, sure 57. Sure 57 has always been an industry staple. It's really good for that mid-range. It filters out a lot of the lows already naturally, so there's not a lot of gunk buildup in your recording for guitars. And then uh, on the ribbon side, typically like a Royer R121 or a Bayer Dynamic M... Uh, what is it? 161? M60? Oh, M60, yeah. Or yeah. 160, I forget what it is. But, um, you know, those combinations alone, like one will actually get the grit, which would be the 57. And depending where you put the 57, here is the spacing on the speaker. If you're on the outer edge, you'll notice that a lot of your top end filters out and all you're left with is around like 300 to 4, maybe 500 hertz just rumbling out. And that's all you're recording. But if you move the microphone straight to the center, uh, where in the middle of the dust cap is, it's just all highs. It's really aggressive. There's mm. a lot of 3K shooting at you. Um, you can actually move that mic in between. You can angle it around. So, like, if you put it right in the middle, you should find a sweet spot in every amp. Every amp has a certain tone, like a Mesa Boogie dual rectifier. does not sound like a Fender Twin Reverb by a long shot. So the miking technique is going to be different depending on the overall tone you're looking for because uh with an acoustic with a clean guitar you might want it to be a little bit brighter because uh, uh, a lot of these amps have a lot of body to clean tones um especially like tube amps so maybe you move it a little bit closer to the center but with like metal music which has screeching highs coming out lots of distortion and everything you might move it actually more to the edge to get a darker tone so it's not in the way of the vocals yes you know? Point being, like making it intentional. There's a, yep. a mic stand out there in the world. I forgot what it's called, but the automatic one. Yeah, it's yeah. like motorized, so you can change the position on the amp without having to go back and forth. Yep, usually, and you that's can control it from your iPad. Yeah, so usually that's kind of like the first responsibility of the classic rock studio musician or the intern. Yeah, that was to... the intern. Put on the headphones and just listen to talk back. Further back. <laughs> Further forward, left. Moving it forward. Uh, nope, go right. No, I said right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think that that's like a, a really good way to practice as well. It's like yeah. experimenting with different tones. 
Um, One of my I know... favorite learning methods for that was actually, um, I you, if you look at my old Facebook, you will find a picture that I still hold very proudly of. I remember when I was very proud to own a 57, a 609, um, a Telefunken M80, and uh, the Audio-Technica 57 copy because I was like, oh, yeah, all these are going to be the perfect mics for guitar tones, this and that. But the way I learned was really just realizing, like, holy shit, just moving the mic makes a bigger difference than changing the mic half mm. the time when it comes to recording guitars. Yeah. I mean, there's not, like, there's not so much frequencies. There's no so many frequencies coming out of a single woofer as, like, a human voice. Or, yeah, exactly. You know, so it's a lot more precise. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, what else with rock music? Uh, bass cabs versus DI. Oh, so this is kind of funny. Because um, in, in rock and guitar, you typically, electric guitar, you typically record the yeah. amp, but, and sometimes DI. Mm-hmm. I mean, that 80s funky picking I mean, especially if, you, kind of DI if sometimes. you're looking to reamp later. Yeah, which is a whole other topic. You, yeah. We won't even go into reamping. We're, we're not trying to confuse people yet, but yeah. <laughs> but that's a whole business and a whole side of the business as well. Um, let's talk about, uh, um, so, but with bass, sometimes you DI, mm-hmm. and sometimes you do external DIs, like the, the ready... Uh, mm-hmm. tube DI or yep. like um, we have a couple here the uh, what uh, is it called uh, radio pro DI's yeah the radial DI's or you can just go directly DI into or high Z input into uh, the interface mm-hmm. um, yeah and then also some people still choose to mic the cap oh mic yeah the amp so uh, tell us a little bit about that and the difference between the two so it's kind of funny um, with bass you typically find that the DI gets used more um, and more nowadays. Back then, the DI was actually used to uh, just capture in case they needed to reamp the bass cab, just like guitars. Because with bass, like really, depending on the amp, it really it might fit in the track, it might not. And late uh, back in the day, you couldn't just change plugins. You literally had to like, oh, you know what? I really don't like the way this amp sounds in the mix. Like, do we have the DI? Can we send it right back through the amp? Um, so that's what reamping is. Yeah, but the DI is the safety net of that. So anytime uh, you record guitars or bass, absolutely, especially bass, keep the DI if you do plan on doing that in the future. But nowadays, um, you'll see that they'll still mic up a bass cab, but the bass cabs actually have like XLR line outputs. So you'll do two kind of DIs. You'll do one that's like the actual bass itself uh, in case you want to change overall amp tones. Uh, you can actually capture directly from the head of the bass because a lot of people really like the sound of what the head's doing on the preamp section. And they so don't necessarily head, head want to out, do it. out, like exactly. line out. Exactly. But so this is there's no speaker useful. in the head. <laughs> no, but it's especially useful for people who want an amp tone but can't turn up the amp at their apartment or something oh there yeah. you go so this is where that feature really shined especially do in guitars live have venues. that uh guitars uh some do i know there's some fender there's some line six that have this ability uh um, but that's mostly a bass thing i mean that's, that's pretty ma- common that's, on that's bass. almost normal in bass amp heads to to have a di out yeah and you can choose whether it's period post processing Oh. Um, so you. I mean, you also see that have, on like, plugins lifts too. Built in, you have pads that built in, and everything. Like it's, it's a full, it's a full DI on these heads you see nowadays. But, um, the cool thing about it is that you literally have a safety net for live sound now, because bass isn't typically mic'd up in live concerts. It's typically DI. So in the recording studio, when people bring out their bass amps, 
they brought him out for a very specific tone. So that's why it's important to get your DI with it. Because in the event that they actually wish they changed their setting or something, they can always bring it back in a reamp session. But um, yeah, you'll find people blending an actual mic'd up amp cab with the DI of the bass more often than you'll ever see that in guitars. And yeah, I mean, in the studio now, uh, regardless of genre, going more into the pop world, for example, Law in Outdonesia, Law is... Uh, Law just goes DI most of the time. In. Yep. And if you have an emulation, a plug-in emulation, dope. But you can change those afterwards now. Yeah, exactly. It's and really a lot convenient. of times, like, I don't. To yeah, be honest. sometimes the DI I've, signal's dope. Yeah, uh, especially for Law. He's, he's got his bass that sounds amazing already. Except for upright bass. Oh, yeah. If you can bass, avoid doing yeah. DI for upright bass at any point. You actually got to mic that up. Yeah. yeah. And those ones are tough to do, too. Cause... But they're actually, so they are and they aren't because it's that dual-spaced mic kind of thing where you want to do the overall capture which especially now matters what without room without in. without dividers and within a small room yeah exactly. <laughs> you're like, playing right next to the drummer yeah good luck <laughs> yeah good luck but then like you put a like nice ribbon mic down low something that captures really the natural body of that instrument you get some pretty amazing recordings oh yeah absolutely yeah. all right cool um i think that kind of covers the major the yeah, band like keyboards stuff. are keyboards. I'm sorry, guys. Like nobody mics up a keyboard amp, so <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, unless yeah, they're running yeah, through a guitar amp, at which point, you yeah. know. And and part of it is, uh, and I think just briefly to touch on it, um, I was in a funk band and we recorded a lot of ourselves. I think the number one rule for recording horns of any kind, um, there's two pieces of advice here. One, air is the best mixer. You don't have to put if you have a room and the whole band's not playing at the same time. And you're recording either a section at a time, the the brass section, or just one one horn at a time, or whatever. Air is a great mixer. Like put that microphone away from the horn. Let yeah. let it kind of like capture the space around it, rather than the air coming directly out of that instrument. Um, whether it's a trumpet, a saxophone, a flute, whatever, just give it some space. Um, second thing, specifically with trumpet and trombone, like horns and that and saxophone, typical brass section there. Um, if you're going to double a trumpet or double a trombone, double a saxophone, it's the same player, same instrument, have them move into different areas of the room. Leave the mic in the same spot. Have them do one where they step slightly to the left. Have them do another take where they step slightly to the right, a little bit behind. Um, if you record doubles or or multiple parts in the same spot, in the same direction of the mic, um, you'll find you'll come across a lot of weird phasing. Yep. And comb filtering there. So that's the same thing for guitars. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. For distorted guitars. So tell us about that then. So like you just uh, so put the mic in a different spot, or you if have you to think change? about it, there's a some people will just do one mic, some people will do two. But if you think about what distortion is, like it's going to be a blur of mid mid frequencies. Mm. So either that's why that either makes you sense. swap guitars or you try to play with the tone a little bit. But usually when you uh, layer guitars with the same guitar, it just becomes a blur. It doesn't actually sound any better all the time. But if you swap like a, uh, from, let's say, a Schecter, humbucker uh, setup, guitar, whatever. To a Strat. Uh, to like a Strat. Yeah, it's going to be too wild of a difference. But if you were to do like Schecter to like an Ibanez, you know, there's enough of a difference in a similar style to mm. where the doubled guitar really sounds like a different guitar. Mm. which is the goal, but that's specific to rock. 
Mm, you know, you typically want to hear different guitar tones for different section guitars. Like you'll notice that the tone shifts per layer. Or a different amp. Yeah, like the distancing and different. everything. Yeah. And honestly, same thing. If you want the guitar amp to sound like more of a real amp, don't worry about the EQ plugin. Just pull the microphone back. Same thing like DK Ooh. said. Air is the best mixer because creating distance in in your mix in this genre of music actually means because of so many live instruments. The distance the microphone is at is actually relative to the distance it sounds like it's in the mix. So if you wanted your guitarist to sound far away, maybe pull that microphone back, and that's all you got to do. Don't add reverb. Lastly, recording the entire band live versus recording parts at a time. Or overdubs, which is the best hybrid of the two. Yeah. Overdubs is great where you record the oh in that sense overdubs is defining that is is recording the entire section live the entire band live but then mm-hmm. redoing specific parts mm-hmm. and and if everything's isolated correctly that will work well yeah so uh, like for example not it's just a it's literally just at that point a blueprint for the rest of the recording for everybody else so one of the things that I did um, in my old studio is that I had a little a uh, port, a little mm-hmm. connector for in my vocal booth for guitar cables. Mm-hmm. So I would leave the amp in the in the vocal booth, mm-hmm. but I would um, leave the guitarist outside of the vocal booth with the drummer mm-hmm. in the studio room. And so that way they could look at each other and I can get that blaring tone, but there'd be no bleed. So if we needed to overdo the drums, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, it wouldn't affect the guitar track because sometimes you get too much bleed where then overdubs becomes a lot more difficult yeah with when there's a lot of bleed overdub is more of the issue than the actual like eq with the blending i would say that a lot of people try to get rid of all the bleed completely and think it's a horrible thing i think that a more experienced mixer will tell you that if you can use the bleed to your advantage i mean Mm -hmm. i think there's different i mean sometimes it just sucks but uh, yeah. um, oftentimes it's not always a bad thing, and, and you can use it to your advantage. Yeah, honestly speaking, I've always been a fan of uh, the hybrid way, which is uh, you plan on the overdubs. Uh, so tell so me about you this. you still record live. You get everybody set up if you have a couple days of recording booked out. So like some bands would book me for like three days straight, and mm-hmm. we'd go to like um, either a rehearsal studio or a recording studio, depending on the band's budget. Um Basically, we would set up the drums, leave them in that spot for the next couple days. Set up the guitar amp, wherever it sounds good, leave it in that spot for the next couple days. The first recording would just be the band together all as one and get their best possible take because not every band plays to a click, uh, funny enough, when you're doing live recording. Um, But once you've got the take, you now have the stems and the ability to mute people back out of a section so that you can have them uh, overdub their section back in to get clean, you know, pristine takes. But you're not really worried about having to pack up at the end of the day. That's usually possible if you have multiple days reserved back to back with no mm. interruptions in between. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Like with these rock sessions, usually we'll leave the drums up and everything set up for a few days. They're not a couple hours at a time for a quick vocal in and out. It's usually like a full day thing. Yeah. Um, and that's the case, like, usually day rates work better. Yeah, it's usually 12-hour days that you'll find. Like, people will come in at 10 in the morning to set up the drums and everything. Then you got to mic it up, double-check it, tune the drums, make sure they're ready. You're recording drums by, like, 2 o'clock sometimes. Cool. 
You yeah. know what I mean? So four hours later, there there goes a third of your session just on setup. Oh, last thing. This is not necessarily rock, but I think it's a good segue into just acoustic instruments. Uh, strings, solos oh, versus yeah. sections. Yeah. So whether it's a little chamber section of a few people or, or an entire orchestra pit, uh, strings wildly sound different when they're close mic'd versus further mic. Yes. The top end completely is different. Um, when the strings are far away and you record like, even if it's a small chamber of like five people, five different, five, six string, six person string section, um, you may consider doing a, a close mic on each of the instruments, but you definitely want to consider at least one or two different room or overhead mm-hmm. options like somehow capturing the s like the overall vibe of everyone at the same time um instead of just the close mics the close mics are a lot more grainy you can really hear the bow on the string and it's a lot more screechy the top end of the the stringed instrument but an orchestra really feels like an orchestra when it's that mid-range not that top mm-hmm. end screech yep. it's that mid-range yep um and same thing for doubles in this section usually doubles with string instruments um, because they don't have frets on them, they can't perfectly be in tune. There's a lot less, uh, there's a lot less um, um, overdub, like phasings type stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, feel free to double and stack as much as you want. Um, uh, but in the top end of stuff, um, again, also if, if you're gonna hire anybody, you gotta hire string players, like good string yeah. players. Dang, well, I mean, you got to hire everything. If it, I mean, yeah. like, but good string players and being able to play in tune for a solo, like, don't ask your cousin, don't ask your sister, ask like a pro. Mm-hmm. Like, that goes a long way. Unless mm. your cousin or your sister is a pro. I mean, ask your, ask your typical Japanese, Asian <laughs> protege, violin player. I was going to say, typically, um, I don't know anyone that has a professional sibling that does that. So, now there that you, you mention it, damn. Like, maybe I got to hit you up for, like, your family members. <laughs> no, nobody <laughs> in my family plays violin, though. Uh, yeah, we're the only Japanese family in the block that doesn't play strings, doesn't play violin. I mean, play guitar <laughs> that has strings Yo, on I it. literally, my, uh, <laughs> I went to a Japanese church in Utah, and that was funny because every single child in that, in that little, uh, in that church played violin. Like, Every single time there was like a special musical number and it was like a kid's program or something like that, everybody's kids would be playing the violin <laughs> with that one cello player. <laughs> like, yeah. But everybody played violin. Yeah, that was just funny. Um, anyway. Yeah, the cello player is smart. I'm just saying. Yeah. It stands out. There you go. We all need good cello players or bass players in this world. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think uh, it's a good time to quit, take a quick break and pause and say thank you to our sponsor, um, we love Isotope and Isotope is a, an amazing company that sells great plugins. Um, they have two options. You can buy the plugins outright, or you can get all of their plugins at once for a monthly subscription fee. Um, and you can get your first month free with the, for the subscription free or, and, or 10% off of your next Isotope order by going to isotope.com backslash MM podcast. Once again, that's isotope.com backslash MM podcast. Um, yeah. Other than that, like as far as like the rock stuff about recording acoustic instruments, uh, microphone choice and, and all that stuff starts to matter a little bit more. Mm-hmm. All the technical side of engineering seems to matter a lot more with 
more when you're recording more than just vocals. So I, I would recommend, even if you're like a hip hop producer that's mostly re- recording vocals, it's it's good experience to get your hands onto more complex like rock sections. I I think that rock engineers and producers should work on hip hop sometimes and I and out of their genre. And I think that the opposite. I think some hip hop people should do some rock music and some folk music. Well, let's thank Young Thug because uh, looks like he's making punk popular again. Yeah, well, him and uh, Machine Gun Kelly. And uh, Travis Barker. Yeah, Travis Barker's huge right now. Swago. Shout out to Swago. Yeah. Swago on our beat. All right. Uh, <laughs> we love Swago. And on that note, um, we really appreciate everybody that stopped by. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're on Apple, please rate us five stars. That really helps us a lot. Um, as always, um, you can hit us up on Instagram at DK Mixes. Uh, at Master by Lou. There you go. And uh, that's new. Yeah. At Master by Lou. And uh, yeah, we have free resources. If you can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com, there's a bunch of free resources, PDFs that you can download, uh, free plugins that you can get, um, a lot of good stuff. And as always, like if you share the podcast, we really appreciate that as well. On that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. One, two, three. <laughs>